0: The Free For All Roundtable. Round two.
1: On round two, Kareem Asad is here. Toronto-based lawyer Kofi Hope is with uh, Monumental Strategies and Rights for the Toronto Star. Montreal radio commentator and pundit Anne Lagasse Dowson is here as well. Uh, Let's start with the Ontario budget. We had the finance minister in. He makes a persuasive case about the budget. Uh, And I guess, I mean, the line of questioning I took with him is playing devil's advocate on behalf of the many conservatives who don't believe this is a very conservative budget. So I guess, and like I Say Dowson, I'll start with you. These, these are not the Mike Harris years. Um, he didn't come in with an axe.
2: So
1: oh, ever- we lost and like I Say Dowson. Okay, so I'll start with Kofi Hope then. Uh, Kofi, there's an awful lot in this budget that a, a liberal would love and a conservative will say, where's the money going?
3: Yeah, yeah. I think it's definitely not extreme in any way. Uh, I think there's big pieces here missing especially when we think about support for cities i know they're going to investigate those development charges that will we'll need to get refunded to cities that, that they're looking into but uh, you know the part i like the most john is is the investments that are being made in mental health um, it's it's not enough but clearly we see it every day on our streets and the subway you know the mental health crisis we're facing and they're investing in that and i think that's reflective of Both this government understanding the need there and also, you know, where they're at in the cycle in the polling and the fact that they want to continue to be popular. And they want to, like all governments as they're getting closer to an election, continue to invest in communities so that they can have those folks show up and vote for them.
1: And like I say, Dowson, I'll come back to you because we managed to restore the connection and it's hard to accuse this government of being meanie conservatives.
2: Well, I even saw a piece today that compares this to a win government budget. So I'm not, I'm not sure about that, but I I do I just wonder about how these conservatives view Toronto where not very many people vote for them, at least not in the urban downtown where a lot of the problems are being experienced by people on the TTC and stuff. Like I think the problem is largely what we're seeing in Montreal, which is that the cities are reliant on property taxes far too reliant on property taxes and the provinces do not extend a helping hand and yet these cities are the motors of their respective provinces so i don't i don't get this not figuring out what's going on on the streets and figuring out how to make you know urban residents of all kinds more secure so that the cities become more safe and more attractive for investment and just better places to live for everybody.
1: Okay, well, Karima, maybe it's sort of almost a a parenting practice. They're going (laughs) to strong arm us into getting our affairs in order.
0: I don't know that it's that simple. And uh, obviously the Ford government has previously proven itself very willing to meddle directly in city affairs, whether it's slashing the number of councillors or changing how... Uh, The ballot is allowed to be presented. So there is that willingness, but it seems to be a um, one-sided approach and, and not actually providing support that's needed. So whenever looking at the budget or thinking about these numbers, for me the question is how will this affect the average person? Is this going to put more food on plates? Is this going to get people more care that they need, more supports, things that will address social determinants of unrest and i don't really see that here
1: and <laughs> not to dwell on the budget forever but it is in reality bread and butter and like i say, dowson i know that jerry agar is going to explode like a firecracker at 9.05 <laughs> this morning because he's a conservative he doesn't think this is a conservative budget you were referencing i think andrew Coyne in the globe and mail who said that yeah. this is like 30 percent bigger than the budget kathleen Wynn and company brought in five years ago which outstrips inflation incredibly but then as a social activist that you are, and actually I think you've self-identified recently as a Marxist on our show. Um, no,
2: I didn't. But no? Okay. What, what the heck? Okay. Socialist, for okay. sure. <laughs> Democratic socialist. I read Capital. Sure, who difficult. hasn't? It's, yeah. it's
1: the foundation yeah. of modern economics. Okay, <laughs> yeah. so back Easy to... bedtime reading. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's dense, but I...
2: It's really dense. My economics
1: yep. professor was a Marxist professor. So, and like I say, Dowson there, you know, you look at this budget and it's kind of hard, again, to say that this is like the Mike Harris years where we ended up affecting the water quality.
2: Yeah, I don't, I don't understand conservatives generally when it comes to this type of stuff, like their love affair with business and their subsidies and their You know, the money that goes to the corporate welfare bums continuously throwing money at these guys who really actually don't particularly care and feel no loyalty to the governments that give them this money or the populations around them or their workforce, for that matter. I don't don't get that. Like, if you're going to give them that much money, put some strings on it, too. You know, like that would be my my left wing bias. If you're going to throw that much public money at these guys, could you please make sure they do what they say they will? and guard the interests of the people who subsidize them and provide them with all the infrastructure they need to make a big buck i find that really irritating cuz i do think that's a bias i see in this budget i've seen it in quebec too and i'm wondering how the feds are going to navigate this next week cuz of course the federal budget's coming up on tuesday like i i don't i know we need business i understand that but i just wish we'd be just a little tougher about getting some you know some rewards for all this public money we throw at those guys cuz they are mostly guys
1: Okay, let's let's move to a new topic, and Karima, I'll start with you on this one. Ontario pharmacists are going to be given new prescribing powers. This is actually adding to the list of prescribing powers they have already. I'm a little wary about this, only because um, this is kind of the model they have in Mexico, and everybody knows in Mexico you can just walk into a pharmacy, and they're not even going to check the symptoms. You tell them, I've got this, that, or the other thing, and of course they're going to write the prescription for you. They're going to make money off of it.
0: Mm-hmm. It's sort of a this medicine-on-demand approach, right? Um, and, and I think that it, obviously there's multiple ways to look at this uh, to the extent that it gets people the prescriptions they need faster because a lot of individuals don't have access to a family doctor or aren't able to wait at a walk-in clinic. That, that's a positive, but the real question then underlying this is how do we ensure that people do have access to that care? Because there are reasons that it's doctors who make prescriptions, and that's not to undercut the, uh, the expertise or skill of pharmacists, but um, it, the offloading of these duties, I think, points to a bigger problem.
1: Yeah, yeah. Kofi, Kofi Hope, it's one of those things where, I mean, you can appreciate what they're trying to accomplish here, as Karima said. Instead of having to call, make an appointment to the doctor, maybe wait two days, go into the office, have a checkup, get a, subscri- a prescription, go to the pharmacy. You just go to the pharmacist and say, I've got this rash. What are you gonna? What can you do?
3: Yeah, and you know what? Our, our system was built around acute care right like when you get your leg broken you go to a hospital you get treated cuz that's what healthcare was like in the 70s when our system was created and now we have an older longer living population most things are chronic most conditions are not best suited in the more expensive parts of our system like hospitals like even going to your your doctor's office and so i'm okay with this i don't know if it's if it's the right move yet i think it's worth trying i think we have a healthcare system that has to change that has to get updated with the times and doing it in a, in a more accessible way and a cheaper way may make sense. But I think you bring up a good point, John. We have to make sure there's quality control and that things aren't getting overprescribed. But I'm actually generally okay with trying interventions like this to figure out how can we do this more effectively? Because our system right now costs a lot of money and is not giving us great outcomes.
1: And like I say, Dowson, it's not like you can go to the pharmacist and get fentanyl, but still uh, the pharmacist turns a profit on whatever they decide that you might need.
2: Yeah, the pharmacists and big pharma, I'm sure they're all very happy about this, right? Big pharma having made unbelievable profits during the pandemic. But anyway, I I'm a big fan of nurse practitioners. I would like to see nurse practitioners who actually can see patients, examine them and then and then prescribe. That's something that's growing here in Quebec and I don't I don't see any mention of it in this particular budget and I think you do need diagnostic eyes on people. You can't just say, "Oh, that rash hmm, here. Take this. You know, who knows what the cause of it is." So I'm, I'm a fan of building that sector of the economy because I agree with Kofi. Like, it, we don't need as much intensive care. We need chronic care provisions. And uh, meanwhile, one fifth of us don't even have doctors to go to. So I, I don't see enough being done to address lack of access, like you can't, once you're in the medical system, it seems to work fairly well, the public system, but it's really hard to get into it for a lot of people. So that's something that I I think is uh, in need of more uh, work. And I I think nurse practitioners is part of that solution.
1: Joe Biden's plane, Air Force One, descended out of the fog and landed In Ottawa last evening, he went for dinner with Justin Trudeau and Sophie Gregoire. Today, he'll be on Parliament Hill. He'll deliver a speech. I'm attending. I'm all excited. I'm a geek geek that way. Uh, But I'm wondering what the takeaway from any of this is. Kareem said, certainly, a lot of people will point to the new agreement on borders, which is somewhat of a surprise. And if you want to get into uh, politics, it kind of takes a weapon away from the Conservatives.
0: It does. Um, So I I think that you know, I I guess my stance on dealing with refugees, right? Like we have to consider Canadian interests and borders and and working with the U.S. um, But there's something of a dehumanized approach, I think, when we hear about this issue in the media and we think about the reasons that people are fleeing their countries. And uh, I I feel that there's a disconnect there, uh, even as we get new legislation that seemingly intra, uh, benefits both countries.
1: And like I say, Dawson, you're in the province that was that had the principal border crossing, unofficial border crossing that was becoming such an issue. Um, there must have been a lot of pressure from Quebec's provincial government.
2: Oh yeah, there's big pressure from Legault on this. And I and I think what ended up happening was the number of people who crossed at Roxham Road from the U.S. into Quebec ended up getting moved to Ontario, even though many of them are Francophones. It's completely bonkers. Like the the two governments need to get their heads together about what's going on at the border with Mexico and what's going on at the border between Canada and the U.S. And part of that is re-examining the safe third country agreement, because these are actual real people with really legitimate reasons to do what they're doing. And many of us are descended from people like those people we need to be a lot more humane about this, because I agree this kind of number crunching approach is not, it's not sufficient. We have a huge refugee crisis around the world now that rivals that of the, the crisis after the Second World War. And we're going to see it get worse with the climate crisis. So these smart guys and their people have to get their, their heads together around the humane concerns that this raises for all of us, all of us in the so-called developed or minority world.
1: Yeah, I've got to read into it, Kofi, to see exactly what the fix is. But it seems like an elegant solution. But I also think that Canadian um, conservatives have tried to transpose the American southern border crisis to Canada. And forty thousand people is not insignificant. That's the people who crossed at Roxham. But it's also not, you know, out of control chaos.
3: No, no it's not. And 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 you look at it with. With the crisis in Ukraine how quickly we were able to move to, to bring in tens of thousands of folks who are refugees and you know I'll be honest I think internationally there's any place where you see kind of discrimination or bias in policy from countries it's it's our refugee policy right we we pick and choose we decide when certain refugees are deserving when they're not um, but it really isn't comparable to many countries in Europe you look at somewhere like Germany right where they had to let in a million people in a year you look at the US border you know we are not being overcrowded our system is not being flooded to the extent many other countries are it's a global issue and i think there is a global citizenship piece especially for a country like us that needs immigrants and is letting in folks and has historically let in refugees who become an important part of this country and so i think i get how it can be worrisome for people but i think you're right it's getting blown out of proportion and we lose that context of canada as a global actor
1: Thank you all. Good to have you. Kofi Hope, Karima Sad, and Anne Legacy who is not a Marxist. Keep it right here for all the best talk in Canada. I'm going to be back after the speech to the House of Commons today with uh, Reshmi to talk about what it was like to be in the House. And I am uh, childishly excited about this whole thing. I'll talk with you all on Monday morning. Catch the Roundtable, round one at 7.45, round two at
3: 8.45. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.